Imagine being a, a happy seven-year-old. You live in a small town called Chemsford outside of Sudbury. You're First Nations Ojibwe, French-Canadian. Your life's glorious until your parents announce that they're getting a divorce. As a child, you become emotionally and physically sick. A migraine hits you that's so strong you almost become blind. And then your life, it turns for the worse. First, your dad remarries and the stepmother resents you. And your biological mom ends up with a man who's bipolar and several times abuses her and even tries to kill her. And your role as a child has gone from skipping in fields to doing everything you can to keep her alive. I think I had just had enough at that point and I was trying to do my best to fix the problem and save her. The dire situation for those in abusive, intimate relationships. Cases of domestic violence against women. Many living under the same roof as their abusers. Reporting unprecedented calls. Others worried about the silence. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Each week, I have the honor to talk with ordinary people who, despite their circumstances, do extraordinary things. In doing so, we identify life lessons that we can apply to inspire us to do more and to be more, to help each of us get to where we need, want, and deserve to go. Today, I'm chatting with Jennifer Menard Shand. Her story is all the tragedy you never want to bestow on a child, but it's also a hero's journey. She gets pushed down the wrong path, sinking deeper and deeper into quicksand of drugs and alcohol and abuse. But she finds a way to claw back, first one branch and then another, until she's back on her feet and a step with purpose, until she becomes an extraordinary entrepreneur. This is the story of the power and potential of human beings and how good can triumph over evil. Jennifer, I had you on a podcast last year where you talked about your success as a small business owner. Today, you're talking about you as a person. And in both cases, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. It's good to be back. So up until age seven, you describe your life as glorious. Take us back to that time and and why things were so magical. Yeah, I uh, grew up in a small town and I remember my family home being just sunny, happy, a uh, lot of good memories there. There was no issues uh, with my parents and uh, just remember having a good time. A lot of friends on my street. Uh, my dad used to have memories of my dad uh, loving to brush my hair and my mom driving me around her cool car. So um, it, it was a good time. It was just the three of us. So your First Nations Ojibwe and French Canadian growing up, did you identify with one or another? I actually identified with being French first. I went to French Catholic schools. Uh, my dad is is from Quebec. And so I identified in, with the French language and, and still speak it with him uh, and his side of the family. Uh, on the Indigenous side of things, my mother didn't really share that with me until later in my teens. I actually didn't claim First Nation status until then. Um, I'm I'm not sure why. I don't know if she was worried about the stereotypes or embarrassed, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't find out until later on. So at age seven, your parents sit you down and tell you they're divorcing. How did you feel? As a child, that, that was the worst day of my life. I remember that, uh, like it was yesterday. I remember sitting on my mom's lap, crying, huge headache. Um, there, uh, the, the living room was empty. And I, I think maybe that's when my 
feelings of wanting to fix or become that fixer upper started because I just remember feeling like there's got to be something I can do. Uh, can't believe this is happening. And your mom fought in one full custody and that dad that brushed your hair at night, you only got to see every second weekend. How did that make you feel? Uh, it, it, it made me sad and, and angry and probably resentful over time because I felt like I was stuck between both of them um, fighting over child support payments and everything else that comes along with uh, parents being separated. And then your dad, this incredible role model, remarries. And with that, obviously, is a new stepmother. Did, your, did you feel your whole situation changed again? For sure. I mean, every child, I think, just doesn't really want to see their parents split up. So I don't think it would have mattered who it was. I just didn't feel like it was right. I didn't want it to happen. And so, yeah, I wasn't a fan of him remarrying at first. And your stepmother, how was your relationship with her? It's great now. We have a very loving relationship, but I feel or I felt like at the time she resented me. Uh, maybe I reminded her of my mother. I just always felt like she favored her daughters uh, more than more than myself. Um, but my my steps. I, so I kind of. I sometimes I say I felt like Cinderella, um, minus the wicked stepsisters. My my sisters uh, are 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 great. They, we've always had a great relationship and very proud of them. Uh, never had any issues with them. One of them's my baby sister's a respiratory therapist, and my middle sister's a. Uh, funeral director. They're awesome. They've always been soldiers uh, by my side. So you're tethered to the footsteps of your mom. Was that a stable situation after your dad left? Not at all. I would say that we moved around a lot, uh, several different towns uh, up in Northern Ontario and in around Sudbury. And I went to about four different elementary schools and two high schools before I graduated. So um, always had this sense of needing to restart, make new friends uh, every year or so wasn't ideal. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're the outcast or you're bullied or just felt like you didn't belong in this yet another place your mom brought you to? I, I always felt like that inside, but I think I did a good job hiding it. I always tried to appear pretty normal in front of people. And I think um, that's where the imposter syndrome started for me. I think at a very young age, I'm, uh, I'm actually writing a, a piece on that. But uh, I, I think it comes from from those times where you're trying to pretend like you're uh, a normal and uh, there's all this uh, chaos going on at home. What does a kid do to find happiness when you're sort of this tumbleweed rolling into a new town or your mom's rolling in a new boyfriend? Like, did, did you, some people say they should journal or do art. Did you find anything to escape to, or did you just have to find a way to breathe and get through each day? Yeah, I think I used to be a bit of a perfectionist even back then as a child, I guess I was trying to focus on what I can control. I would, uh, if, if I wrote something and it wasn't perfect, I would rip apart the page and restart. Um, Aside from that, I would say, uh, I understand now that happiness is a choice, but back then my mom spoiled me a lot. So it was, it was candy and restaurants and shopping and gifts, uh, maybe to make up for, uh, what was lacking. And did she bring home a, a, like a, a string of boyfriends or did she find remarry and find love like your dad did? 
No, she never remarried. It was a string of boyfriends until uh, she ended up with uh, the one who abused her the most. Why do you think she went after, you know, in pop culture, they call it bad boys. Why do you think she was attracted to, to people like that? At first, I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand how you could leave my quote unquote perfect dad. Um, but uh, now understanding the cycle of abuse, I found out years later that she was actually abused as a child. And uh, it, it makes sense that she would leave my perfect dad for someone who would abuse her. Um, makes sense to me now. And the last person that she ended up with was by far the worst. I, I hope I actually hope he's resting in peace now. He died of cancer a few years after she left him and our relationship actually uh, was better back then him and I he uh, he had a lot of demons and um, he was bipolar and you could actually see it in his eyes when he would have an episode he had these light green eyes and when he I guess turned on her or especially if he was drinking his eyes would turn dark gray and so if they were both drinking uh, that, that was game over the cops had to be called my dad was bipolar and self-medicated with alcohol. He wasn't physically abusive, but mentally he was. And so, and I know that feeling when you see the Jekyll and Hyde switch. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. Download Chatter That Matters as a podcast. Text me at any time at 71010. When we come back, Jennifer puts a knife to her stepfather's chest. And for good reason. Her mom is lying on the floor, bleeding from a shattered glass. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, all you women and me. Each week, you can download the latest episode of Chatter That Matters as a podcast from your iHeartRadio Canada app. Now more with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. I'm chatting with Jennifer Menard-Shan. If you're just joining us, what you miss is Jennifer was a beautiful child, but at age seven, her life's turned upside down by her parents' divorce. Her mother gets full custody, but chooses alcohol and a string of bad boyfriends over taking care of her daughter. Jennifer spends part of her life trying to save her mom, part of her life hiding her situation from others. But increasingly, Jennifer falls into her own quicksand filled with alcohol, drugs, and even witchcraft. You never understood how your mom left your dad, Noel, who you describe as the kindest person you've ever met for a string of loser boyfriends. What made your dad so special? My dad is in my heart. He always has been. His name's Noel. He was born on Christmas Day. And he's just the happiest guy ever. He is never upset. He's just a peacemaker. It's, it's, it's rare. It's bizarre. I actually used to never understand how I used to ask him, like, how can you be happy all the time? And, uh, he, he's with his soulmate now. And, and I remember her saying to me, Jen, it's a choice. He just, he chooses to be happy, uh, every day. And, and so him and his family are the same. They're eight brothers. They all grew up on a farm in Quebec. They all look alike. And uh, they, they taught myself and our cousins to just have fun and laugh and, and build great families. So uh, thank God for him. So before the break, we talk about your mom, string of bad boyfriends, and then bad turns to evil when somebody comes in on a more permanent basis. Bipolar, you described it as, you know, when his green eyes turn gray, you know, that uh, the evil was coming out. 
You also talked about in a, an article I read, blaming your mom. In an interview, you said you she went from being a, your hero to zero. What was life like for you trying to figure out your place in a home of constant alcohol, abuse, yelling, physical battles? What did you do to cope? Well, I'll back up and tell you a bit more about what, what it was like at home so you can understand how I got to these points. Um, when I mentioned hero to zero, it's because... When I was young, I remember my mom being, she was my hero. She, she was beautiful, intelligent. Uh, she still is, uh, but she uh, was successful, very soft-spoken, never swore, extremely polite, um, very, um, uh, just a, a very loving, kind-hearted person. And I saw her change over the years into something else, maybe the little monster he was creating, but she wasn't the same person anymore. She would yell and scream and act like he did. And she drank. And I just, I saw her, her innocence leave. Uh, and though, so the same thing happened, happened to me. Um, I can tell you an example of my stepfather uh, and some of the things that would go on one of the nights or the first night, I think you had asked me, when did you first realize that he had demons and uh, it was one of the nights where my mom came running into my room because he was attacking her. And she thought that if she jumped into the bed with me under the covers, that he would leave her alone. But it didn't work. He just ripped off the blankets and ripped her out of my bed. And so that was my first introduction to the types of fights that would go on. Um, so yeah, I'd be woken up a lot at 3am by screams and I would do a variety of things to try and jump in and help out. Um, sometimes I would do nothing. Sometimes I would actually physically insert myself between the two of them. Um, sometimes they would actually wake me up and ask me to come downstairs and listen to their fight and almost as a moderator, let them know who was right or wrong. Um, and like I said, if they were both drinking, it was, I either had to hide in a closet and try to call the police myself if my stepfather hadn't tap the phones or rip them out of the wall because he used to do that. Um, or I had to run to the neighbors to ask them to use their phone. But that was a last resort. I mean, running to the neighbors was embarrassing. Uh, I still remember their face when they opened the door and I'm there at 3 a.m. begging them to use their phone. Like the look of shock is just, I still remember that. And you're just a, a kid because at age 13, you end up taking a knife because your mom's on the floor bleeding from a shattered glass. That took so much courage. I mean, that knife could have been turned against you. How did you ever find it upon yourself to, to step in front of a situation that severe? Yeah, it's a good question. I, um, I think I was changing as well. Being around that type of environment, having to deal with these types of things on a regular basis, uh, it, I think I had just had enough at that point and I was trying to do my best to fix the problem and save her. Um, I was awoken by another screaming match, but this time I heard beer bottles smashing on the kitchen floor and uh, my mom was crying and screaming. And so I ran downstairs and uh, there she was face down crying and he was over her. And I, I thought he was going to finish her off at that point. Um, and when she lifted up her head, I, I saw the broken glass in her chest and she was bleeding. 
And in an instant, I remembered that he had this phobia of knives. I'm not sure why he was never afraid of guns or anything else, but knives. And my 13 year old brain just looked over at the kitchen knives, grabbed the biggest one I could find. And uh, in that moment, I mean, how did I have the courage? Probably I wasn't even thinking it was either I did this or she would, she would die. So the, I was not, I didn't think twice about it. And um, I'll never forget his look because he was, he, he immediately jumped off of her and uh, ended up crouched in a corner, super scared, looking up at me with a, a look of horror uh, I, I think we were all horrified uh, that I had to stoop to that level. And so everything stopped in that moment. And thankfully, I never had to do something like that again. You you talk about this sort of vicious cycle where, you know, things would get a little better. And then your mom would bribe you to lie in court about the situation. That must have compromised your your value system. I mean, how did you feel one side having the money, knowing that you were in some ways condoning or accepting, uh, accepting the situation. That was tough. I, this is when things started shifting between her and I, and going back to blaming her, I was extremely angry with her. Uh, I became more angry with her than him. I almost felt like, well, if you're going to take him back, you deserve to be abused this is ridiculous. And, um, I thought I saved you. I thought I succeeded. And here we are now we've got a court date and you're back with him. So you want me to change the story or whatnot? And yes, I'd be rewarded with gifts or money. Um, so yeah, I guess I felt used and, um, my relationship changed with her. Then I lost a lot of respect and a lot of love for her. So Jennifer, talk to me a little bit about how you started going down the wrong path in life. It's a little, confusing when the roles reverse. Um, I felt like the parent, my mom felt like the child to me. Uh, and so I, I was also alone a lot and I would hang out with adults mainly. So I grew up pretty fast, I guess after I was, you know, done with school and taking care of her or trying to save her, I would, uh, do whatever I needed to do to ease the pain or escape it and anything to do to distract me from the pain. Uh, that was anything from alcohol, drugs, uh, hanging out with the wrong people, um, joyriding in stolen cars with friends. And yeah, the witchcraft piece, that's interesting. I watched a movie called The Craft way back when where these witches were putting spells on people and they actually had power. It would work. And go figure, I started dabbling into that, um, maybe desperately trying to regain some sort of power or control. Um, within my situation. Uh, and I uh, have to say, I had to do a lot of spiritual cleansing to close those dark doors because that was just a really weird time. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You can download this episode at chattedthatmatters.ca or wherever you get your podcast. So when we come back, Jennifer Minara Chan decides on her own to move to Toronto. She's got renewed strength in who she is. And what happens next it's a story that Hollywood couldn't script. It's a, it's a story about finding yourself, surrounding yourself with the right people and ending up being an incredibly successful entrepreneur. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment 
on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Women-led enterprises are key to Canada's economy, and RBC is helping to accelerate and grow these businesses, sponsoring the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards, a celebration of impact and achievement, and CEO, a radically generous community supporting women working on the world's to-do list. Women-led businesses and the economy matters to RBC. Um, I was awoken by another screaming match, but this time I heard beer bottles smashing on the kitchen floor and uh, my mom was crying and screaming. And so I ran downstairs and uh, there she was face down crying and he was over her. And I I thought he was going to finish her off at that point. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. Presented by RBC. Today I'm chatting with Jennifer Menard Chan on Chatter That Matters. Jennifer's story is a hero's journey. If you're just tuning in, it was a young child, found herself in the most dire circumstances, an abusive stepfather, a mother who abandons her. But today she finds a life of faith, pursuit, and passion. So did your your dad, the stepmother, and your two sisters, were they all part of that village that got you to reach for a branch and another branch and started to rediscover that there's that there's still this magical human being inside you for sure because the last the last time i left my mother for good i was 18 years old and i she had kicked me out of the house for the last time at 2 a.m um packed my entire car and uh never looked back and ended up moving to toronto when i was 20 uh, just with a hope and a dream and, and knowing that I would figure it out. I worked very hard in hospitality and, um, yes, my sisters, uh, my dad, uh, uh, friends, colleagues, strangers, even, uh, my mentors over time, uh, my business partner today, my husband today, th- these are all people that I've met along the way that, uh, have helped me heal. They've, they've been there for me in some way, shape or form. So you're with your dad, your stepmother, you're starting to feel better about yourself, but you then do another tour of duty out of guilt or whatever. You decide to go back and try one more time to save your mom. How old were you? I think I was about 15 this time, maybe 16. No, I would have been 16 because she bought me a car. It's strange because I hadn't talked to her for years. Of course, I was angry. And uh, 9-11 out of all days, she gets into a car accident with my grandmother and my grandmother dies. I got this phone call from my dad saying I need to rush home and something's happened to your mom. Found out that she almost died in the accident and felt guilty. I wanted to uh, go back and and care for her. Um, I had two conditions and it was no more alcohol, no more fights. And I'll try this out one last time. And of course, the, uh, the alcohol and the fights didn't stop. And that's how I ended up uh, kicked out of the house at 2 a.m., when I was 18, uh, probably because I was, I think, disagreeing with her about uh, going to rescue her boyfriend from another bar fight. And she got upset. But you, you weren't her parent. You were a child. Yeah, you just don't see it that way. And even with my dad, I, I hid it from him uh, because my dad, to me, was so perfect and always in the light. I, I didn't really share any of this with him until later in life. Uh, he didn't really know what was going on or the extent of what was going on. Uh, it's It sounds ridiculous, but I almost wanted to protect him from it. So, Jennifer, tell me what happens when you arrive 
in Toronto with everything you own in your car, a knapsack that's filled with pain, but also, you know, a loving father and knowing that you have an ability to work hard and to make things happen. What happens next? Well, I, I really was determined to do things on my own. As you can imagine, at this point, I trusted no one and I was not going to rely on anyone for anything. So it, it, it just, it started by being a workaholic, really. Um, I landed a job with MLSE in 2006. And then in 2008, I ended up meeting my Yoda, Jeff Bag who uh, owned a staffing firm and, um, and I started working for him. Um, I made my mark in staffing between 2008, 2018 and started healing through uh, being around the right people. The corporate world actually taught me a lot. Um, therapy uh, worked with a lot of therapists and specifically EMDR is a great therapy for uh, PTSD and what I was struggling with. Uh, the, the work helped. It kept me busy. And the busier I was, the less time I had to wallow in negative thoughts. Uh, and so with that work becomes, comes more independence, more success, uh, ended up with, you know, a fancy car, six figure salary and all kinds of materialistic things. And, um, it, it, that only worked for so long. Uh, when I was 30, I looked at my vision board and it, it was lacking meaning and purpose. And so I, I had to quickly work to figure that out um, and, and change my direction because even the success I had attained was uh, driven by fear. And it's not until that shifted, did, was I really fulfilled? So what did you replace that with a sense of workaholic, uh, materialistic things, trying to avoid your past by just focusing on the present? What did you bring into your life at age 30 that really made you the remarkable person you are today? So I think from aside from all the tactical things that you can do to seek help and the resources that are out there and the good people that you can position yourself around, for me personally, it was about uh, reconnecting with my Christian faith. I had walked away from God a long time ago. I no longer believed. Um, and uh, I had friends around me that would always ask me to come back to church. And uh, and for me, I did in, in my early 30s. And uh, I have to say, God has the power to heal faster than decades of therapy. And I have I have so much proof uh, where that's concerned. That's a whole other story. Uh, but uh, if you'll allow him in, um, it's it's only when I started, it's only that type of healing that allowed me to be more vulnerable and, and trust people again and um, have humility and uh and so, yeah, so I owe a lot of it to um, uh, decades of, of therapy and great people, but faith is extremely important in this equation. Jennifer, question, have you ever forgiven or did you ever forgive your mom and your stepfather? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, they've both been forgiven and I saw him before he passed. It was really sad. Um, you know, he just, well, some of his last words was just, you know, enjoy your life and don't worry about me. Don't, don't be afraid. I felt so sad uh, that he was dying of cancer. It, just, it was just a sad situation. Um, but uh, it was a great last visit. I still remember him waving goodbye. Um, and my mom, yes, she's been forgiven. Uh, our relationship, I'm still working on. It's hard because people grow at different rates. Um, so I'm, I'm still working on that, but I love her very much. 
Jennifer, you've become an incredible inspirational speaker with with the life lessons that you've learned. Can you share a couple of them with us? If we were listening to you on stage, what are some of the lessons you'd be offering us? Uh, I have a kind of a top 10 these days, so I'll, I'll try to fly through uh, maybe a couple of one, but a couple of them. But um, I would say you're never alone. Seek help. Don't let anyone or anything steal your peace. Focus on gratitude and, uh, and solutions, not problems. There's always a solution to the problem, as crazy as it can be. Lots of resources and help out there. Never, ever give up. That's something that my old mentor used to say. Recently, I was kind of surprised by this stat, but um, just enjoy the ride and, and try to figure out what's the next right move. You don't need to figure out everything overnight, but what's the next right move? Because I think we're only on this earth for an average of 30,000 days or so. That was eye-opening. So how are you going to spend your time? And if people wanted to book you as a speaker or to learn more about the staffing that you provide for a wide range of events and and situations, including how you helped you know first responders in, in the COVID crisis, what's the best way to reach you? You can send an email to info at staffshop.ca and you'll be able to reach me there. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Menard Shand. Send me a note there. But uh, yeah, I'd be happy to chat. And before I say goodbye, share with us the quote that you feel guides your life. Yes, I have many. I think this one is from C.S. Lewis. And it's, uh, we can't go back and change the beginning, but we can start where we are and change the ending. Jennifer, I want to thank you for joining me again on Chatter That Matters. And each time we chat, my love and admiration for you grows. Thank you. Um, I'm super grateful to be here and uh, have some news. We are pregnant with our first child. And so due September 25th. And uh, as you can imagine, I'm reading every book you can imagine to try to be the best parent I can be. So if anyone has any advice out there, feel free to contact me about that as well. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And the world needs more girls like you growing up to lead our parliaments and our boardrooms and our courtrooms and our universities. We need you. Joining me now on Chatter That Matters is Haria Bernie. She's the VP of Commercial of RBC and a champion for women-led businesses. Haria, welcome to uh, Chatter That Matters. Thank you very much, Tony. Thanks for having me. Haria is a beautiful name. Where'd you get that from? Well, my parents gave it to me. It actually means freedom. It's uh, it's kind of an Arabic slash Turkish. I don't even know where it's from, but it means freedom. Well, let's talk about freedom and choice. Haria, you're an advocate for women-led business, but I heard a very Well, actually, horrific stat the other day. Only 16% of small and even medium-sized businesses are owned and led by women. Why is that? That is correct. Interestingly, uh, it's only about 15% or so here in Canada. Why is that? 
You know, it's interesting. Uh, There's a lot of structural barriers, I find. Uh, Women lack the mentorship, the networks, the access to capital that's required to be entrepreneurs. A lot of times women tend to take on more than their share of childcare and household burdens, which, of course, makes it tougher to balance work and home responsibilities. Even if women do get past the startup problem, as we like to call it, they run into a scale-up problem, uh, which kind of prevents them from growing their businesses the same way. Uh, and the, you know, the final point is that a lot of accelerators and incubators that support entrepreneurs uh, don't meet the needs of women entrepreneurs and diverse entrepreneurs. And as much as they're an important part of the innovation ecosystem of Canada, they're not always welcoming places for women entrepreneurs and tend to maintain this, you know, bro culture status quo that that shuts women out. Korea, on the other side, I've heard that women-led businesses outperform on almost every metric that matters in business. Things like productivity, profitability, quality and culture. What's your thinking on that? I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, women tend to be more measured in, in how they take risks. Um, they, they bring a lot of uh, great connections and networking abilities to the table. They're able to build diverse teams themselves. Um, and, you know, if the, the stats are out there. If women get the right support and the right financing for their businesses, they can, they can really take the business to the next level. So if we were to level the scales in Canada unleash all of these talented women to run businesses, what would it mean to our economy? No, it's uh, the possibilities are endless. Uh, Entrepreneurship, uh, as you know, Tony, it's one of the key elements that contributes to economic growth through job creation, through innovation and productivity growth. Entrepreneurs create new jobs. They introduce new technologies through innovations. They explore new market opportunities. And we will see tremendous growth in the economy if we even out the scales. Uh, There's some stats out there that show that Canada loses $150 billion in GDP due to our lack of gender parity. That's a big number. And, um, you know, according to a study by the Boston Consulting Group, if we had equal numbers of women and men entrepreneurs, the GDP in Canada could rise by $80 billion. And uh, internationally, globally, this number actually goes to $5 trillion. So big numbers there. 80 billion in Canada, 5 trillion around the world. It is in everybody's collective interest to unleash the power of women entrepreneurs. What's RBC doing to help make that happen? So the Canadian, um, you know, sort of uh, landscape for entrepreneurs, uh, that's a really big priority for RBC. And uh, we believe in, you know, gender parity, not just within our own ranks, but uh, also kind of supporting and enabling women entrepreneurs in Canada. We believe it's not just the right thing to do, but the smart thing to do. There's many different ways that we support women entrepreneurs. So first of all um, is advice. You know, we have RBC account managers and specialists that are on the ground that make make an effort to understand the unique challenges that uh, female entrepreneur clients face, understand their goals, their industries, and provide them the right advice and also a network of market champions, like connecting them with the right people that have tools and resources to help them grow. So the networking, you know, the mentorship, the recognition, these are all important parts of our 
strategy. Um, you know, we try to be a vocal advocate for uh, inclusion, and we have a long history of doing that uh, over the last 150 years, um, over 150 years that RBC has been in existence. We also work with a lot of organizations that are focused on the advancement of women um, and providing, you know, pathways for prosperity for women entrepreneurs. You know, this includes like the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards, um, CEO is another organization we work with, and we also work with different government partners to help small businesses, um, you know, and we've done that throughout the pandemic last year. And finally, RBC is a founding partner for the Equality Fund. And uh, the Equality Fund is kind of a, you know, global initiative that that basically um, has partnered up on a, on a $300 million commitment from the government of Canada. Uh, so RBC has mobilized initial investments of $100 million to partner with the $300 million that the government of Canada has committed. And essentially, the goal of the Equality Fund is to support the advancement of women. And also, um, there's an innovative investment arm to, to help deliver momentum for some of these uh, initiatives. So RBC is a founding partner of this, and we continue to be committed to helping women entrepreneurs and women in general really achieve gender parity. Maria Bernie from RBC, thank you for joining me on Chatter That Matters. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you having me, Tony. Chatter That Matters is a labor of love. I've been doing it for over a year. Thanks to RBC, I get to share stories of ordinary people who do extraordinary things. I grab their life lessons and inspire us to do more, to be more, to get us to where we all need, want, and deserve to go. If you're a fan, please click follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast, as it really matters in how we get ranked by Apple and Spotify. And next week, what a show. Dan Ariely and Kelly Peters are two of the leading thinkers on behavioral economics. What they study is how consumers think, feel, and behave, including why so many people are hesitating to get the vaccination. And Dan Ariely's life? Changes course in a second as a teenager. He's caught in an explosion and he wakes up in a burn ward, losing complete control of every decision that involves his life. And because of that, he spends his time trying to understand how we can all make better decisions of our lives. I'm Tony Chapman. This is Chatter That Matters. Let's chat soon. Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.